Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Everybody? You too. Yeah. You missed the first service. I, I had the water here and I, I tried to open the cap with one finger by myself and I couldn't get it open. It's humiliating. And so now I've told them every time I come, they have to open it for me. I have to loosen it so that I can. I'm 70 for crying out loud. So it was tight. They put them on there tight. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to read in a moment from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 9. How good is your memory this morning? Anyone that's getting up in age knows that one of the, one of the unwelcome treats of aging is your memory isn't quite, quite as good as it used to be. Uh, have you ever had the experience where you're filling out a form or something or you're asked about where you live and you just like, you freeze up and you can't, I, I know I, I can find it if we drive there, but I can't, you can't pull the name out, you can't pull the numbers out, and you, they're kind of lost for a moment. And um, uh, honestly, uh, sometimes I'll go from one end of our house to the other on a mission and I forget what the mission was. And I had to go back and sit down and try to relive what I was feeling that was, gave me the thing. And so memory is important. I believe that. And one of the things that God talks about very much in Scripture is that we keep a, a good memory of him. And uh, that's very important. And you can be in church all your life and sing all the songs and have totally forgotten him and the things that matter. And I want to read to you from the admonition that is given to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful. Listen to this verse very carefully. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. The memory of who God is and what he has done for us is one of the most important things in your Christian life. That you constantly are aware and cognizant of God's presence and his workings and his promises and his activities in your life. And this is incredibly true in the world we live in right now because memory is something that because of technology, because of our phones and our iPads and our computers, it's those things are affecting our memory. Our brains are literally being rewired this morning by the modern technology. That our neural pathways are different than generations in the past because they are being slowly changed to respond to things that are completely different than our forefathers knew anything about. And one of the, one of the prices we're paying for technology in a personal realm is our own memories. 
and the ability to concentrate. One of the things I noticed, uh, you know, I've been a, a pastor of about 48 years, and I, I know that I used to always have the ability to concentrate and focus on stuff in prayer or in study, but I began to find in recent years that it was, it was hard for me to, to, to keep focused that I wanted to check my phone or I wanted to, I wanted to check, but it was hard for me to stay in one place long enough for me to really absorb what was going on. And if you do any study of memory, you know that, that this is something that's widespread. There's a, a study called the Ebbinghaus Memory Curve. And every pastor should never look at it, never read it, pay no attention to it. Because what it says is that basically after six days, people only remember 25% of what you said. That what, what, what did I preach last week? What did I preach last month? That, that people lose the memory of things that are important very quickly. And at the present time, they're telling us that this lack of memory, this lack of ability to hold memories is very, very strong and it's growing. And, at the, and this is true of things that are small, like forgetting who you are, what your phone number is, to things that are large. I was here in Kingman, Arizona, in 2001, September 11th, I was, I was in a motel here in, in Kingman. I woke up in the morning and went down to the lobby and saw what was going on. And like many of you, that day and, and all that we saw was seared into our consciousness. And for a while, it was like America was like no blue, no, no red. It was like everybody's on board. We're at war, and there was this massive uh, coming together of our hearts and our minds, and, and we remembered what a great nation, remembered that we, you know, the things that mattered. I remember that during that time, you know, America worships its sports heroes. You know, anything, take advice from a guy that plays basketball. I don't think so. But anyhow, uh, we worship them, and I remember during that time that I, I love baseball, and during baseball games, uh, that before the game started, they would march out um, first responders. How many remember that? They brought out policemen and firemen and military, and they would come out, and the entire crowd would stand to their feet and applaud them, and there was this great sense of coming together. But you know, that memory's fading, isn't it? Now it's a controversy to even sing the national anthem. It's a controversy to honor the flag. Hating policemen is like one of the first courses you're taught at, at American universities that it's becoming a world where the things that we once remembered, we're forgetting. We're forgetting how we got freedom. We're forgetting why there is an America. We're not even taught how we got here anymore. Memory is important and it's vital to our health as Americans and as Christians. There is a very moving memorial in the city of Jerusalem that I've visited on two occasions. It's called Yad Vashem. And Yad Vashem was established by the Spiegel family. Used to, some of you in my age remember the Spiegel had catalogs. They were, uh, they were a, a Jewish family. And they established this memorial to the Holocaust victims. When you first walk into it, there's this wall of lights. And uh, all these lights are symbolic of all the kids that were killed during the Holocaust. And it's speaking their names out as you walk through. Farther on through is a place called the Hall of Names very sacred place where they have a card for every person that died during the Holocaust that their families and friends have come through over the last you know, 60 years and they've given the information, this is who they were, this is their name, this is where they live, this was their job because they want to remember them. It's important to remember them. 
that we don't lose the, the memory, we don't lose the, 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 the reality of, of that, that world and what happened and that it never happened again. Memory matters, folks. And I'll tell you this, a culture that no longer knows how to remember is a culture that is in decline. When we lose our memory, we are losing our future. And what people forget and what people remember tells you a lot about what kind of people they are. And there is within Scripture an ancient assault on our memories. There, there is within in, in, in entire Bible, you, uh, those of you that kn know your Bible know that over and over again there is this admonition to remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget. And the reason that's there is because we all have a capacity to forget the things that matter and remember the things that don't. I've always a little bit ashamed of myself that I can pull some song off a of Crosby, Stills, and Nash album and sing along and yet can't remember a Bible verse that I preached from. That's wrong. And I want to talk to you this morning about this assault. Because if one of the most important things about being a believer is remembering what, who God is and what he has done, one of the worst things that can happen to you is forgetting. And I believe one of the enemies, one of those most subtle tricks is to, to destroy my faith and destroy my effectiveness as a Christian is to get me to forget who God really is and what God has really done. Because the devil doesn't need to get me to deny God. He just needs to get me to not remember him. To not recall him, to not keep him constantly before my eyes. Because the devil is obsessed with, uh, with touching our memories. This is why he, he comes at us many times. He wants you to remember your sins, doesn't he? And forget that you were forgiven. Forget the grace of God. Forget the goodness of God. And only remember your mistakes and all the things you've done to draw you into condemnation. God wants you to forget all your sins and remember how great his salvation is. That, he's, that this battle over the memory is transpiring all the time in our lives as part of our spiritual warfare. And you'll see the, the concept of memory being highlighted throughout the Bible. You know, the promise of the new covenant, God told the children of Israel, your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That this is God saying to us that I'm gonna work with you in such a way that all that you've done, every violation of me, I'm gonna cause it to be washed away, not simply re removed you know, from your mind, but removed from the record. And the devil standing over in the other corner accusing the brethren, bringing up our past sins again and again, telling us that there's no way God can forgive you. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. How can God possibly forgive you? Well, because he's God and he's good, and that's what he does. The attack on our memory is an ancient assault. It's come against God's people. It's been a problem we've faced for years. It's plagued us for generations. The prophet Jeremiah laments this in Je Jeremiah 18, verse 15. He says, yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways. Catch the progression there. You forget, you turn to idols, and you stumble. And that memory is the first to go. You don't wake up every day with him on your mind. You're not thinking that the first thing I need to do today is, uh, is, is to open my Bible and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and read his word and rehearse it in my heart and in my spirit. And God is saying, my own people have forgotten me. 
And when we forget him, we start turning to other things for satisfaction. We, talk, we turn to other things to help us get through life. And before long, we've pushed him out of the picture altogether. I was thinking to myself, what are some of the things that could ever cause us to forget God? I think there's a couple of categories. One is just prosperity. Sometimes people become so blessed, they forget where they came from and how they got there. Success can swallow you. And suddenly you're not desperate for God like you were when you got saved. And that's good. But you should not stop being desperate for God just because you're saved. You should hunger for him and thirst for him. And this is something the scripture talks about. Is it different? You know, desperate people live differently than some successful people. Because when you get to a certain point of success, it can deaden your hunger for God. And now church becomes, I can take it or leave it. God knows my heart. You're putting words in God's mouth. God wants to put his words in your mouth. Deuteronomy is basically a book from start to finish. is remember, remember, remember. You were slaves, now you're free. Don't let the promised land, don't let my promises that you enter into that bless you and, and multiply and, and give you increase, make you forget. Beware after you have houses and lands and orchards and fields you didn't plant and houses you didn't build, you forget me who brought you out of Egypt when you were broken and desperate and hungry and had no power yourself to get free. I got you free. When I first got saved, my family wanted to attribute my new life to, I met Robin. <laughs> and she has, been a big, she has been a big change. But I can guarantee you, she can testify, she hasn't been able to change me that much. <laughs> Jesus got a hold of me. I said, it wasn't Robin. I love Robin with all my heart, but that's not what changed me. That's not what delivered me from the drugs and the crime. That's not the, it was Jesus that did that. And so remembering him and recalling him is a battle that we face because it, there's this, you know, prosperity is a condition that needs to be enjoyed with extreme caution. He said, don't forget me when you're blessed. Don't forget me when you have money in your pocket. Don't forget me when you're not on drugs anymore. Don't forget me when your marriage is working. Don't forget me. The other thing that can happen is just anxiety and worry. Sometimes we forget God because we've quit looking to him for help. And what happens when you quit looking to him for help, you have no help, and you become overwhelmed. The enemy comes in like a flood. You feel outgunned and under-resourced, and the enemy loves to do that and make you feel like, you know, God's not helping you. He may have helped you once. you you got to take care of this on your own. Children of Israel were like that. They were so thankful to be set free, but within six weeks, they're building a golden calf. They see all miracle after miracle. Yet they came to the border of the promised land. They wouldn't go in because there was a challenge involved in it. I hope we don't ever become a people that are afraid of a challenge. Our God is bigger than the giants. He's bigger than the land. He's bigger than all the things I'm afraid of. Talk about a distortion of perspective. All they could think about was, man, don't you miss the soup? The soup was killer, bro. Onions, garlics, come on. This manna is like oatmeal. When you forget God, the things he's provided for you don't look as good as the things you used to have. Someone said forgetting negates the meaning of history and establishes evil practices because they seem helpful or useful to our present desires. 
This is us saying it doesn't matter what God's done in the past. I have problems right now, and he doesn't seem to be helping me, so I'm going to find help someplace else. And anxiety and worry can make you forget God. Third thing that can make you forget God is preoccupation with yourself. We are the most self-obsessed generation that has ever lived. I've often thought if aliens ever came here, they said, these people love to take pictures of themselves. I'm not even going to go there this morning because if you get me started, I will blow up. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that because I love John and Kathy, and I don't, want to, I don't want to blow up in their church. I'll blow up someplace else some other time. But honestly, we are so self-obsessed with ourselves, and someone said the problem with being you is that everything is mediated directly by you, which makes you think you is the center of everything is you. That's what it's and in a world where people are constantly with grooming our and preening our social media presence and want folks to know, I'm having an amazing time. Look what I'm eating. That is stupid. Did someone say it? That is just stupid. I don't care about your cookies. Come on. That's not just old people complaining. That's just wisdom clarifying. Yeah, you start preaching real biblical lifestyle to, to people in church today, they think you punched them in the throat. Because the, 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 what God's called us to, the kind of people we're supposed to be, the kind of lives we're supposed to live, it's not about me. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Those are, those are me things but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each you to the interest of others. Oh my God, when's the last time you met someone and realized, you're better than me. <laughs> you're, you're smarter, you're better, you are, as opposed to, you know, they, they cheated. Somehow try to make yourself look bigger by shrinking them. You don't have to shrink other people to get bigger, folks. What would the church look like if we actually live like that? But that's impossible if I'm preoccupied with my mind and my image and myself and my appearance and what people think about me. Because when it's all about me, there's no room for God. I watched a TED Talk. I love TED Talks. And there was one done by an actor. His name's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, hyphenated name. And you, you've seen him in some uh, modern shows. But he was in a, a movie years ago called 10 Things I Hate About You good movie. <laughs> you can imagine why I would like it. But he did a, a, a TED talk called Craving Attention versus Paying Attention. Because he was talking about the battle he faced himself, constantly competing with other celebrities to boost his social image, to boost his followers, to boost his likes. And then he realized one day, I, I'm so hungry for attention. I'm not paying attention. Okay. And because, because one of the things that's happening in our society and young people are growing up and they think that's the most important thing is to groom this social presence. And people in churches do the same thing sometimes, trying to gain followers. And we validate one another by how many followers they have. There are some really stupid, evil people that have a lot of followers. You, you don't validate through that. And he talks about his personal battle with it. But the, the quote that grabbed me that, that, that I wrote down, he said, wanting attention has caused you to stop paying attention. 
You're so hungry to get attention, you've stopped paying attention in your own life. And he said the thing that happens is you become so obsessed with, and you, you crave attention so much that in reality you slip into a, a delusional world. And you're not happy, you're never fulfilled, you can never have enough because it's, you, you can never satisfy that kind of selfishness. It's delusional. And he came to the conclusion that the happiest people in the world are not those who crave attention, but those who pay attention to the task that's before them and the people they're with. The more obsessed we become with our image and our desires, the less happy we are. That's how it works out. The less of God and the less of us God gets. And before long, God becomes a supporting actor in your movie. We forget the story isn't about us. It isn't about you, Greg. It's about what I've done for you and who I am. And the children of God fell into this. And one commentator called it a spiral of forgetfulness. You see this in the book of Judges, up and down, in and out, hot and cold. The whole book's a narrative of people forgetting God, people getting careless with their relationship. And we get careless by getting distracted for, by the needs of the moment. I, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to go to church. I, I, I can do all these other things. And we, we, we begin to forget God, you know, over a period of time. And then we start, because we've forgotten him, we disobey what he said to do. And we start doing other things. And we begin to, then we start deliberately forgetting him. We harden our hearts. And then we abandon him overall. Yeah. And it all begins because you got careless about remembering God every day. The mercies of the Lord are made new every morning. Why? So you can tap into them and be aware of them. Memory loss is a horrible thing. If you've ever had to care for people who have had Alzheimer's, you know how sad and frustrating it can be. And my wife and I helped care for her uh, stepfather, her uh, mom's father, dad, husband. <laughs> Close friend of mine. His name was Lloyd. <laughs> Lloyd was a pastor of 50 years from Minnesota, Scandinavia, Norwegian, and uh, had Alzheimer's. And we moved from Texas to California to take care of him, help her mom take care of him. And it was one of the most sad things. If you've ever dealt with Alzheimer's patients, especially a family member, it is incredibly sad because they cannot remember the simplest things. And this is a dignified man. This is an articulate, intelligent man. And to see him not know the simplest things, not be able to follow the simplest instructions, not recognizing loved ones, not knowing his wife's name, and to, to watch that deterioration transpire and, 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 and how you have to fight to take care of them and the frustration. And I thought to myself, I can't help but wonder if that's what God experiences caring for us. Because we may be one of the most have the shortest spiritual memories of any generation in history. Shortest spiritual memories. We have an experience with God, and then it's gone. We're off to something else. We can't quite remember what salvation is about. Why, why did I get saved? We can't remember what church is about. We can't remember what the kingdom is about. You know why? Because our culture is having a greater influence on us than the kingdom is. Because you're taking in more of the culture than you are of the kingdom. That's the ancient assault. I'm going to call you this morning, secondly, to remembrance. In our text is a 
verse 9 of this text, it just, it just hit me the other day. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Isn't it easy to let the things that we have seen and the things that we have felt in our hearts fade and be replaced by such temporary thrills and chills and excitement and entertainment? I don't think God's called us to some stoic, cold, intellectually reserved faith. I think he's called us to a vibrant, everyday memory of my great salvation, always present, animating my actions, animating my words. Do not let them fade from your heart as long as you live. If you study this, this passage is a long sentence in the Hebrew. It is filled with double emphasis, the verb forget doesn't mean just the details of the event. It means the idea of losing the covenant you're a part of. You're not just forgetting the event. You're forgetting who you are and your part in it and what God has done and who he is. And so many of the exhortations in the Bible are simply for us to not forget, but to remember what we are a part of and what happened to us that brought us here this morning. It's easy to forget. You get caught up in church fights and personality battles and your own stupid stuff and my stupid stuff. And we just get, we get distracted. And we forget how we got saved and what it felt like to have Jesus inside of you and to wake up with, with actually hope and not be addicted and not have to break into houses to get money for stuff. You remember all of a sudden what an amazing thing it was that you heard the gospel and you believed it. Many people don't. You know why? You were chosen. We're chosen this morning. You're not random. You're chosen. Revelations 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold it fast. And repent. Listen, you got to hold on to what God gave you because people will try to steal it from you. I remember over the years that kids I've come had come through my church. I had a young girl come through that was a she was the uh, Arizona uh, New Mexico State uh, cross country champion girl. It was an amazing girl ran the torch in one of the Olympics. It was just an amazing girl got a full scholarship to Cornell University. That's that's a fortune right there that she got. And I remember on the phone with her, the battle over and over again as college professors are trying to strip her of the memories of her salvation and the amazing experience she had with God. Because that's their job. God give us the courage to not forget what happened to us when we got saved and not, and not sell it out because some egghead intellectual has some argument that you can't answer. I got a million that he can't answer. Well, I don't know where that came from. This bled out of me there. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I know your pastors preach on revival. Talk to you about revival. Talk to you about encounter and about presence. And you might get tired of hearing about that. 
But I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm here to, to read, I've read the book and I've seen some things and this is not all that God can do. This is not all that he can do. He can shake this city. You couldn't build a building big enough to do what he wants to do. When you start remembering him and don't let the culture shape you, you start impacting the culture. Revelations 2.5, remember therefore from whence you were fallen. When God talks to us about remembering, he's asking us to remember his love for you. He's not speaking that as a jealous, you know, uh, as a punitive deity, but a jealous lover. He wants your heart back. He wants your attention back. What you've given to other things, he wants that back. And honestly, this morning, the great heart of a Christian pastor, a Christian leader, is to challenge people every week to remind you, to put you in remembrance of what this is all about and why we're here and why we're singing and why we lift our hands. Romans 15, verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Amen, Paul. I, I, I say the same thing to you. Yet, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. I'm here to affirm you, and I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to build you up and take you forward. And sometimes the only way I can take you forward is I gotta get you to let go of something that's holding you back. And a poor memory will hold you back. Second Peter 1, for this reason I will not be negligent. First Peter 1, 12. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know them and are established in the present truth, yet I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by reminding you. We need to, we need to have our memories adjusted, don't we? There are some focal points of memory I think we all need. Let me give you about three real quickly. Number one, don't forget Jesus. It's funny, if we get all caught up in everything and forget Jesus. Don't forget Jesus, man. You know, it, it, what's weird today is that when people today in, in the news and the media think about Christians, the first thought that comes to their mind is not Jesus, it's politics. They've attached us to, to a political agenda. How did that happen? How do we become known for anything other than Jesus? How do we become known for anything other than his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension? How do we become known for something other than that? And caught up in some nationalistic fervor and realizing that that will never save us. Only he can save us. How did our message become anything other than Jesus? If you see Christian personalities on TV, it's just so embarrassing sometimes, is, 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 which is how little they talk about Jesus. Talk about themselves and how they're, how they're you know, they're tuning into the culture. What about Jesus? The culture needs Jesus. They don't need you to be a hipster. They need Jesus. What about us? 
in the cultural confusion that's out there today, you can forget what it means even to be a Christian. And yet you'll use all the language. <sighs> but you don't represent any of it in your lifestyle. That can happen to you. At the end of his life, Paul's in prison in Rome and he's preparing to be executed. He's going to die. And everyone's abandoned him except for a few faithful followers. And even those who are loyal to him are ashamed of him because of his chains. Today, if, 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 a, if a Christian gets persecuted or called out by the media, we're like, ooh, they must be doing it wrong. No, it's when you do it right. There's a reason they crucified Jesus. He did it right. And the political and the religious establishment hated him for it. I don't advocate being hated by the culture, but I don't want to be loved by the culture either. I don't want their values to become my values. I don't want their future to become my future. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your family. They raised you in it and put it in you when you were young and laid hands upon you. Don't ever be ashamed of that. Paul talks about the farmer, the soldier, the athlete in that same letter. I love the letters to Timothy. And then he slips into this. He says these words, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And where's Paul? Church planner, end of his life. Timothy, don't be ashamed of me or my chains and the gospel. And remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. This is my gospel. Every church in America needs to get that letter. It's never been easier for us to make it about American history or politics or your preferences but it's ultimately not about any of those things. It's about Jesus and his gospel. It isn't about people's felt needs. It's about their eternal needs. Don't forget Jesus, Timothy. That's what's on my heart. I'm going to die, but I want you to know, don't forget him. Raised from the dead, that's what he did. Descended from David, that's who he is. Don't forget Jesus. Number two, don't forget your salvation. You get saved for a long time. You know, I honestly can't remember segments of my life back then. I honestly can't. Some of that's just gone, which is probably good. But you know what? God's left enough of it there for me to remember what it was like and how awful it was to not be saved. To just go through life you know, growing up in the 60s, doing drugs, living on a commune out in the woods, just a whole lifestyle, and the emptiness and the, 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 every, the futileness of trying to find love and friendship and, and enlightenment and this relaxing, you are dead. And then the light of the gospel to shine into your life when somebody passed you a gospel track in jail. Whoa, Jesus. Don't forget your salvation. Don't, don't forget how you got saved, man. Even if you grew up in it all your life, you have to remember when it dawned on you, man, I, I, I'm saved. In the book of Ephesians, they had a problem in the church. It was primarily a Jewish community at that time. 
And as the Gentiles came in, the Gentiles don't have any Jewish history. They don't care about Jewish history. They don't care about patriarchs or any, any arcs. They don't care about any of that stuff, right? And Paul has to remind them, you know, because what they're saying is, listen, we don't need these Jews. These, these Jews are in the way. We, we don't need any of that stuff of theirs. Uh, we, uh, we've got Jesus. We're good to go. And they became arrogant and dismissive. Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians 2.11, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. That's the Gentile. That's our heritage. We were alone and without hope and without God in the world. We were excluded from the covenants. We weren't part of the covenant. We were, we were, we were a dispossessed people. It was the chosen people were the Jews. And now he's telling them, now you that were not chosen, you're chosen. You that were not a son, you're a son. You that were dead, now you're alive. Don't forget that. That's what it's about. It's not about the church you go to. It isn't about any of that. It's about being saved. I'm saved. Saved from what? From that great and notable day of the Lord that's around the corner. And from my own sins and my own weaknesses and flaws because he loved me enough to pay for them. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? The utter hopelessness I remember sitting on the steps of a barracks. I was in the Navy and I was going to hospital corpsman school in San Diego, California, and I was dying. I was just dying. And I remember sitting on the, the steps of that barracks and I had a little tiny New Testament that somebody had passed out to me in downtown San Diego. So people were evangelizing and I, I cursed at them and gave them the F and, and they, they gave me a Bible. It's the difference between the two people. I remember that little New Testament sitting there, opening it up, not knowing anything about it, and weeping, weeping. God, is there anything here that could change the, my life? It was only within a few months, about six months later, that I got saved. See, there's something about remembering your salvation that's important. Remembering what God has done for you. Second Peter 1 9 says, But whoever does not have them, and he, he's listed a bunch of things you add to your faith virtue and kindness and goodness and knowledge and self control and perseverance. And he says in Second Peter 1 9, Whoever doesn't have those is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past. It's easy to forget you've been cleansed from your past. But if you don't remember you've been cleansed from your past, you'll start reverting to your past. We're not growing when we're not remembering. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Do you remember getting saved and what that meant? And number three is mission. It seems like much of the church has forgotten why we're here. And I don't say this in any, in any condemning way. I just say it in, 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 a, in a concerned child of God, pastoral calling that we're so busy trying to impress and attract a culture that hates God without, without attracting them using God. We aren't called to be sugar and spice and everything nice. We're salt and light, folks. Yeah. 
Shine light in the darkness. Ugh. Salt in a wound. We're so busy sometimes trying to get them to like us. What you have to do to get them to like you is not worth the price of what it does to you. We've already tried that. We've already tried the moral majority. Why are we going to take over the country with Christians? Uh, we had to make a deal, didn't we? We had to tell the politicians, I'll call you a Christian if you'll call me a scholar. That's what we'll do. I'll, I'll call you unsaved people Christians because you, you believe in God. That's to make you a Christian believing in God. Remember, Jesus. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. I was thinking about some articles I've been reading lately about Christian counseling, how they counseling Christians, you know, about how to walk their lives and live their faith out and what and they, finding a balance. And, and I can just imagine the Apostle Paul being counseled in today's modern church. I hear the counselor saying, Paul, man, worried about you. Look at you. you, are, you you're a wreck. You got scars all over your body. You've been through the ringer. You don't have hardly any likes on your Instagram account. Twitter canceled you for your inflammatory posts about traditional marriage. What were you thinking? You need to chill out, bro. You, need, you know what you need, Paul? You need to find a faith-life balance. Yeah, because, you know, you're just way too into this. You need to kind of chill out, take some time, you know, work on your social presence because this is... This is. And you imagine Paul's response? <laughs> that, would, that would be a good movie or, or short. A, a commercial. Because he's pursuing his calling in Acts chapter 20, knowing that tribulations and chains await him. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna get me. They're going to they're lock me up. And then I'm going to die. But he writes in Acts 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Let's don't forget Jesus. Let's don't forget our salvation. And let's don't forget our mission this morning. Let's don't get caught in the spiral of forgetfulness. Let me close with this, the pathway to remembering. Because if there's a, there's a, if there's a spiral away from remembering, there's a pathway to remembering. Listen, attention leads to devotion. What you pay attention to, you will devote yourself to. What you ignore, you will not have any devotion for. You will have no adoration for things that you ignore and don't pay attention to. In the midst of all the noise and all the clickbait that's going on and the attention-stealing technology that's out there today, we have to get back to paying attention to God. But how, how? Let me give you two practical things. Number one, if you're gonna get your memory restored, you have to learn to care for the sacred parts of your story. Do you think about your story? I think the older I get, <laughs> I think about my story. I find myself casting back over the years thinking about my story, which I'm going to have to give an account for someday. And I think about, I think about uh, how few things in life this American culture thinks are sacred anymore. 
Nothing is sacred. They'll mock and they'll, they'll, just, they'll just defame everything because nothing is sacred to them. But there needs to be things about your life that are sacred to you. And in a world that's so vulgar and so crass and so desensitized to purity, at some point in life, you and I are going to have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm sorry, something sacred happened here. You need to get out. You can't touch this. You have no right here. This doesn't belong to you. This belongs to me and God. This is something God did for me, and you have no right to touch it. You're not worthy of touching it. You're not worthy of trying to argue me out of it or counter it or attacking it. You're not to, you, you stay out of here. This is sacred to me. And we have to learn to look at our own stories and our own lives and our own salvation and our own Christian walk and what God has done and say, this part of my life is sacred. I will not compromise it. I will not lay it aside to, to make you happy. I will not renounce it and so, so, so you can win some, some argument. The devil wants you to take what is sacred and those sacred moments of your life your Jesus, your salvation, your mission. He wants you to take all those things and cause you to go back and reinterpret it. Deconstruct it as a phase you were going through. I was young then and I needed that, but now I've been to school and so you, you, I don't need it anymore. You're not desperate anymore. And he wants you to look at your sacred story and count it as nothing and walk away with it, wiping your hands with cynicism. And now you're free of religion the opiate of the people. You found a new religion. You. We have to learn to steward the sacred parts of our story. We have to care. Sometimes I pray, I say, Lord, help me to care. Because it's easy for me not to care. Easy for me to harden my heart and slip into a cynical place and not care. I said, God, you had to help me to care. So I care again. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 4.9, again, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. You know, the truest thing about me is Jesus. There's a lot of horse manure in the and the rest of it. But the truest thing about me is what God has done in my life and who he is in my life. The second thing you have to do, along with guarding the sacred story, part of your story, is you have to manage your awareness and your consciousness. And I know that sounds a little zen, but this is not that. A few years back, there was a book entitled Flow. And it was written by a guy who, honestly, his name... I can, the first part was like, the second part was, that's basically what it said. I couldn't spell it. So I said, I'm not even going to write it down on my notes because I never say it. You ever read a book and you can't pronounce a word? You don't stop. Oh, man, how do you pronounce that? You sit right there. I'll come back to it. But the aim of the book was a study, and it was also a TED Talk on flow could look it up. And he uh, was talking about flow as the cognitive state in which a person, a human being, is completely engaged. 
where we're totally immersed in what we're doing, totally undistracted. And it's, it's, it, the whole book is about peak consciousness. What does it take to be to have peak consciousness and awareness and how amazingly productive we are when, when, when we're focused and not distracted by every... Have you, it's so hard to stay focused these days. So many things are going through your head, so many thoughts, so many ideas, and you're trying to do 10 things at once as opposed to focusing. And he talks about this, and uh, he said there's a tension point that you can have so many things going on that you can't pay attention. You burn out and just want to run. Or you don't have enough going on, and you're bored, and you just, <laughs> just, you're taking anything. But there's a place where you come to, it's a flow, and it's a little bit like if you've ever taken an online class in college, which I have, that you, that like you, you have a term paper. It's due. You've got to read the material. got to put it together. got to go on, you know, make sure you get all your quotes and all the reference points, blah, all that stuff together. But you don't, you don't touch it for two months, and then the night before it's due, it's like, it's like all of a sudden, boom, superpower. That's called flow. You're flowing, man. You're like, I'm all in. We need a spiritual flow. Dallas Willard talks about this in one of his books. He says, what you pay attention to and focus on determines your reality. And we are at peak spiritual condition when we're present with all, with God in all that we do. Say it again. I'm at peak spiritual condition when I am present with God in all that I do. Psalms 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord before me always. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. If you just dabble in Christianity, you are bored out of your mind right now. You deserve it. David's telling us to manage our consciousness and our awareness so that regardless of what happens to me or what I'm going through, God is the filter, and God is the reference point for all that's happening. He's never out of the equation. He's never removed from what I'm experiencing, and I'm aware of him. I'm cognizant of him. I'm focused on him. I have set the Lord before me always. Amen. And the reason this is important is because the days that lie ahead for us, you better, you better be learning to manage your consciousness because there's an attack away to divert you from it. And there are some things coming in our culture. There's some things coming in our world. Remember a few years back, David Wilkerson was preaching on end time stuff, and he was mocked to scorn. Oh, you'll never see that on television. You'll ne that, that'll never happen in America. It's America, brother. And everything he said. But he was considered Mr. Doomsday. We don't want to hear bad. We don't come to church to hear bad news. <laughs> then don't go out the door. There's nothing out there but bad news. We have an answer in here. It's going to be important that you can focus on Jesus as you go through some things. That you don't lose your awareness. You don't, you're managing your consciousness of him. That scripture we all quote, greater is he that is in me. And he that is in the world. That is not a cheer or a mantra. That is a reality. Greater is he that is in me than anything that's happening in the world around me. 
greater than the politics, greater than the, 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 than the health issues, greater than the political, uh, geopolitical wars of China and blah, blah, blah. And greater than all that is he that is in me. And so you're going to need to be able to focus and, 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 and filter everything in the next few years in your life with him helping you through it. Because sometimes a child will die. And sometimes a marriage will break up. And sometimes you don't get the job. Sometimes you don't get the house. Sometimes uh, uh, relationships fall apart. Sometimes things go south. And sometimes very, very bad things happen to us. But I have to, I, as a follower of Jesus, I have, to, I have to interpret those things and manage my consciousness, not just of the event, but of the event plus Jesus in me. I'm not going through this alone. I'm not facing this alone. I'm viewing this through his eyes and through his heart and his promises, which are yes and amen. We must care for the sacred parts. We must manage our consciousness. I was thinking about this. The, the Jews could teach us about remembering Here's a people that they've tried to annihilate for 2,000 years, longer than that. And they have managed to maintain their national awareness, their ethnic awareness. Without, without a homeland for 2,000 years, they remained Jews wherever they were in the world, whatever community they were in. Because they built a culture that doesn't rely upon one Torah teaching a week. Every single thing in their lives, I thought about this, is about managing their consciousness of God. They're, they're, they're stewarding the sacred story in everything they do so they don't forget who they are. Think about it. Circumcision. You can't forget that. Every time you go to the bathroom or have sex, it's like, I'm God's. <laughs> I know that's what I thought too, I thought, but it's true. Can't forget, well, I'm God. Altars. The Jews built altars. Anytime God did something, anytime God visited them, anytime there was an encounter, they grabbed some rocks, get some rocks, sack them up, build them. Let's give it a name, uh, Jehovah Baba. And they, they, to remember. So they wouldn't forget what God had done, what God had spoken, what God had shown him. They had a calendar, a Jewish calendar. The whole a year is broken up into this rhythm of celebration and remembrance of the sacred moments of what God had done and was doing among them. On a weekly basis, they had a Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Two things, remember it, and then do something special that marks it out so you don't forget me. Serving God wasn't a once-a-week thing to a Jew. It was... They used time and food, morals, worship, leadership, community, and their own vocational lives, and they weave the sacred into that every day. They manage their consciousness. They repeat the Shema every day, morning and night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Him only. They repeat it, and they have their kids repeat it back to them. God said, teach your kids and have your kids repeat it back to you, and they'll teach their kids and their kids. They wrote it on their houses. They wore it on their bodies because God wanted the relationship so embedded in them that no one could beat it out of them or scare it out of them or intimidate them out of it. How does this compare with Christian discipleship in the average church? How deeply embedded is Christ in you? 
How deeply encoded is it in your operating system? In the days ahead, we're going to find out. I heard a, a talk given by, uh, I think his name is Pete Sakarzo, you know, the Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Pastor. And I had to read that because <laughs> I need some emotional health every now and then. But he was giving an analogy about farmers in the Midwest who there was a time when blizzards, and still today, a blizzard would last for days sometimes. And so they would eat all the food that was in the house because it last, you know, two weeks, a blizzard, nonstop. And so they had to leave the house and make their way to the storage shed or you know, the root cellar, wherever they had, to find food and bring it back to the house. And sometimes the, the storm was so bad and so horrible that they would, they would not either find the barn or they'd find it and not be able to make it back. And then they would run a rope from the house to, to the barn, to wherever the, wherever the food was kept. And they'd tie themselves to it so they could go out in the storm and find their way back. Because many of them, in going, they, they discovered without that, they would die 10 yards from the house. And he made the statement that we live in a blizzard of secularism and satanic influence. And if we as the church don't have some mechanism to manage our consciousness and steward the sacredness of our story, some of you will die 10 yards from the church. The culture will overwhelm your memory and replace it with new ones that let go of God and let go of his holiness and let, let go of his word and his promises. We must have some practices and some rhythms and some truths that keep us connected. We must never forget who he is and what he has done. You believe that? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I want you to do something this week. I didn't mention this in the first service, but it's a thought I've been toying with. Maybe this week, to kind of take this sermon and drive it home, is to sit down and take a few moments and write your own Psalms 103. Write your own 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, and then begin to write down the things that God has done for you. Write down the things that you are thankful for that he has done in your life. What has God done for you? What is the sacred parts of your story? What are the things that you don't ever want to forget about God? And write it down Pray over it, put it someplace, and read it often. So if you don't have time for that, then you have other issues. But you should take time to remember, to remember the amazing God that we serve and the astounding thing of saving people like us. I don't know how you see yourself or view yourself or who you were, but I know who I was, and I know who he has made me. And I want to encourage you to never forget Jesus, your salvation, or our mission, and to hold to the sacred story, to hold to that, and to make it real. Father, this morning, I thank you for your word. I thank you for stirring our memories, Lord, for stirring our hearts. We live in a culture that would swallow us. It would dilute us to the point where we had no influence whatsoever. And Lord, you have called us to touch our generation, to impact it, and to penetrate the darkness with, our, with your presence in our lives. 
And I ask you this morning, Lord, open our hearts. Prepare us to be these people, Lord. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put it upon you and take our eyes off our problems and the things around us and, the, and, and, and come back to you and who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. And I ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Would you stand? Because you're going to have to stand in a moment anyway when you leave. So, <laughs> you might as well get a head start. I didn't give an altar call this morning because I didn't give an altar call this morning. But if you came today and you don't know Jesus, it would be unbelievably honorable for me to pray a prayer with you for, to receive him into your heart. Because I'm telling you, once you've met him, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim Amen. in the light of his glory and grace. How many believe that this morning? I'm going to pray a simple prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you're here, you can pray aloud, but I want everyone to pray it. Just in case some of you are like in trouble this morning. <laughs> Pastor Greg wants to get you covered, okay? So I want you all to repeat these words out to me. Dear Jesus, I believe you died upon the cross for my sins. I repent this morning and turn away from my sin. I invite you to come into my life. Wash me in your blood. Fill me with your spirit and set me apart to serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. And shout amen. Amen. Listen, you're dismissed. Are they dismissed? You're dismissed. Fly. Be free. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.